You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. So we're starting off a new sermon series called Little Books, and this is going to be fun. We're going to do about six different books in the Bible and some of the smallest books of the Bible, and we're going to soak in that. We're going to soak in that book for a full, uh, I'm soaking in it for a full week at least, uh, but also just soaking in it today and just seeing like, you know, okay, Lord, what do you have for us? Why did you want this book in the text and what is its purpose and how did it apply to the hearers of it during that time and how does it apply in our lives today? So I'm excited. Um, I read this book 10 times this week. Thank you very much. And I listened to it another 10 times, at least another 10 times, maybe more, because I go to Bible Gateway and I listen on it at two times speed. And this was roughly nine minutes for all three chapters on Bible Gateway. So I had like four minutes and 50 seconds of just powering through that thing. And so I'm just soaking in this book. And it's amazing. This morning I got here and I, I get here a little bit early and I sit in my office and I'm like, all right, Lord, let's just polish this up. What do you want? And I was going through it again and I was like, I didn't hear that the first 20 times. So either I'm a little dense or the Lord just continues to reveal things uh, through his text, which is probably uh, accurate on both sides. Um, so this book of uh, Titus is the title of this book. It's a giant uh, book in the back of your Bible. Mine has a whole page for Titus. It's uh, right, before, uh, right after, uh, before Philemon uh, and right after uh, 2 Timothy. So it's a whole page. And there's hardly any you're going to take away from this today, I'm sure, because it's only just one page. Uh, it's a whole 659 words. It's 61st in the size out of the 66 books that you could read. Uh, again, nine whole minutes if you're a slow reader like myself. Um, and as I was going through this book, I was asking the Lord, I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to know about you? And what do you want me to do with what I know about you? It's kind of a good way to approach the text. God, what do you want to reveal to me about yourself? And what do you actually want me to do with what you revealed to me? Also led me to ask myself some questions. And it's not uh, necessarily just a new question, but I, I always analyze uh, what I'm doing and how I'm doing. And if I think I'm doing a good job, I like to critique myself. And there's other folks that are gracious enough to critique me as well. So thank you. Um, but I started thinking, okay, Josh, like, is this the kind of church that you're called to lead? How are you leading? You know, what, what is the purpose of real life on the Palouse? There's a lot of cool churches in our town. There's some churches that are happening. There's a revival happening. That's right. Outside of even our church, my mentor, Dan Shields at Spokane Valley, had seven scheduled baptisms last weekend for his Easter service, and they ended up having 155. He was prepared. They were prepared. They were ready. And God delivered. Are we making a difference? What are we supposed to look like? Those are the questions that I was wrestling with as I entered into this book this week. So let's talk about this book. Who wrote it? Paul wrote this letter. We can call him books, letter. And Paul wrote this. So Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Uh, many of his letters are, are in the New Testament. I think there's like 13 total uh, books that are uh, associated with Paul. And Paul was writing this book. Paul uh, is one of the apostles. He's, 
super preeminent. If you're new to the faith, he's like, if you're reading in the New Testament, you're reading stuff that he wrote. And he, before he became a believer, he was a persecutor of Christians. And he would persecute Christians. He would be more than happy to hold somebody's, uh, somebody's robe so they could get a good wind-up to throw a rock to stone a Christian. And the Lord met him and literally blinded him. And the Lord said, uh, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he had this conversion moment, and it changed his life, and he just changed any, everything he was doing and dedicated his life to the mission and vision of Jesus Christ. And so uh, he made disciples. So weird, like he was called to. He made disciples, and Titus is one of his disciples. Uh, here's something I, I read this week about Titus. He was Paul's faithful delegate, sent to Crete to work with a difficult group of people. He was a Gentile probably in his late 30s, and he was a solid, faithful man of God. So this book is written to Titus, who's a church planter, and Paul left Titus in Crete to set up leadership to make sure the churches that Paul had planted were kind of following through with what he had hoped for. And so let's take a look at where this uh, book would have been written to. So there's the big picture of the Mediterranean Sea. You can see uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria in the far bottom right there. And then there's Crete, this island in the middle. And it's kind of this between Greece and uh, it's, it's a great, great stopping point if you're going through there. And so uh, after Paul got done with his second missionary journey, I believe, he went to uh, Crete. And so he's talking to Titus and he's got some things to say. Let's take another uh, zoom in a little bit on this. So Crete's about 160 miles east to west. Uh, really uh, mountainous. Uh, the Romans loved to get the Cretan, Cretans because they were awesome and fierce warriors and great fighters. This is a rough and tumble group of people. The, Cre- the Cretans. We had this big debate in the sermon club that whether the Cretans were like, you Cretan? And what does that mean? You know, like, and we had this full debate and, and Logan was so sure of exactly what it meant and then he got corrected by our fabulous Gus. Uh, that it didn't really mean what we thought it meant. Like, Cretan meant idiot, and that was from this island, but we did a whole word, etymology. Don't worry. We can't, you're not, if you're a Cretan, you're not from Crete. No. Um, so, anyway, there's this island here, and this is where this takes place. Let's take another picture of it today. Super nice. It's a place people like to visit. I'm sure the cruise ships cruise in there in the Mediterranean. They're like, hey, it's vacation time. All right. Now, so you know where we are. He's speaking to these churches in Crete. And really, his point is instructions to the care of the church. Dr. Randy Smith says that the book of Titus is the ultimate church planting manual for Christians. This is an amazing way to, to plant churches. And, and this is some valuable information in there. And so he's not talking about fundraising. He's not talking about buildings. He's not talking about what kind of worship music we have or our lighting or our smoke machines or all these other cool things. He's talking about the character of a church. He's talking about the character of the leadership and the people in that particular church. You know, character is contagious. Good character is contagious. And bad character is contagious. You will be like the things that you let into your brain and the people that you associate with. That's what you'll be like. It's a great warning for all of us to know. Who are you associating with? What information are you allowing into your brain? 
Do you allow slander into your brain? Anybody watch a news channel this week? <laughs> what are you allowing to come in and to cre- help create your thoughts? So Titus 5 through 9, chapter 1, uh, are character traits for the leader or pastors of a church. So I had a rough week as we were working through this. As I think about the character traits and how do I measure up in areas that I need to work on. And these are character traits. Uh, and what I'm looking for is I look for elders in our church. When we look to hire staff members, these are character traits that I look for in uh, pastoral staff members. Uh, these are all pieces of the puzzle that I'm looking for. And it should be something that maybe all of us are striving to. So let's take a look at Titus 1, 5 through 16. The reason... Love this. Paul just gets right to the point. Here's why I left you here. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town. So a church that is there, you should have people that are mature in the faith, that understand things about uh, the doctrine that Paul was teaching and, and Jesus and who he was and what he did. And so he wants to make sure that that's, that's good. You ever seen that a church can get off track in their doctrine? A church can get on, off track and you all of a sudden they're like way over here and you're like, well, that's not what you're trying to, to pair it up with what Jesus said or what you were taught or what your church. And all of a sudden you get denominations, hundreds of denominations. And so he's leaving elders in every town as he directed them. An elder must be blameless. And I was like, oh. So some translations will say above reproach. And here's what that means is that that leader's life is free from sinful habits, not from sin, but from sinful habits or behaviors that would impede their setting the highest Christian standard and model for the church to emulate. So as I follow Jesus the best that I can, as I am being transformed and remade in front of all of you, some of you get a very close look at that and you have lots of grace and lots of patience. But as I'm being transformed, I'm trying to you know, strive to have this character and this set of qualities. And I'm called to. Uh, so blameless, faithful to his wife. I was like, yes, I got one. Yes. Um, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild or disobedient. I was like, okay, like, well, define believe. You know, define wild or disobedient. How does that work out? You know, like, whatever my number is, my, like, so kind of like, all right, Lord, help me with this. And he's like, well, I had this child named, uh, children named Adam and Eve, and they were a little disobedient, and I was able to work it out. And so I pray for that for my children as well. Um, Sincere, or since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, unless he's doing construction. No, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness. You don't want to see your pastor drunk. That's bad. You don't want to see any of our staff members drunk. That's bad. You should never see that. Not violent. That's good. And not pursuing dishonest gain. Okay. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Well, that's a lot of work on your pastors and elders. And that's what we're all equipping ourselves to do. And we're trying to also equip the body of Christ to do that as well. For there are many rebellious people full of meaningless talk and deception, certainly not in our day, especially those of the circumcision group. Oh, that's interesting. Who's the circumcision group? 
Um, and so this was a reference to the, the Jews at that time that were on this island that were like, in order to follow God the way that we follow him, you must be circumcised. And Titus is an uncircumcised Gentile. And so he's getting hammered on this. They must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach and that, uh, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. So like he's like, we got to fix this issue in our church. Next. One of Crete's own prophets has said it. This is what, this is what the, the Cretan prophet thought of his own people. Cretans are always liars. Remember the always and nevers? You've got to be careful with always and nevers. But Cretans are always liars. Evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true. Man. Lord, am I church planning there? <laughs> I have some questions, right? The high need and high challenge. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and pay no attention to the Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. Sit in that for a second. Sit in that for a second and think about where we are as a people. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. Nothing is holy. Nothing is sacred. In fact, both their minds and their consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So what's the purpose of the church? We have a mandate here about what type of leaders and pastors that Titus is supposed to be leaving behind. So again, Titus is a church planter. He is here and he's helping these churches get off the ground. These are the things that we should be looking for in our pastors and our elders and things that we should all be striving for as Christians. All that list applies to everybody, but specifically written to a guy like me. And I'm working on it. See, the church, its purpose is to educate. We saw that in there. To teach wise, sound doctrine. And to educate in a way that encourages not just more information into your brains, but actual transformation into your hearts and your lives. We can talk about how neat and cool Surfest is all day long, but if we don't go out and do it, we're like the people who think they know God. I'm not saying you're not a Christian if you don't go do that, but I'm just saying we can talk about it and think it's a good idea and celebrate something that we used to do or we could get out there and actually do it in our, with our very own hands. So the purpose of the church is not just to educate, that's part of it, but to encourage an education that would actually lead to transformation. How is God transforming you? How are you different this week than you were last week? What have you allowed into your heart, into your mind, into your soul that is moving and changing you? And when we do that, that leads to transformation, edifying who God is out there, out in the world, and we're transformed by also how we treat the world. So our fabulous uh, vision at Real Life is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. 
And when we reach them for Jesus, we teach them how to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. And the way we do that is we make biblical disciples in relational environments. 33 life groups. There's 33 life groups at our church. That probably represents about maybe if you just said 10, that's 330 people that are getting together. Let me tell you about a life group that I'm pretty familiar with, my own. Um, our life group branched this year. It got so big that we had to break it and there was like 10 people over here and like 12 people over here and it got so big we had to branch it and we had some awesome folks step up and say we feel called that we could lead and host this life group. And about seven of our folks went and launched, seven or eight of our folks went and launched this other life group. But we're still part of the family. And we got to spend some time with these awesome folks this week and their beautiful baby. And we're talking about the things that are going on and and understanding what we're doing in our groups. And there's another couple that's in our group that she has been battling cancer at a pretty significant level. And this group, these two groups are being in community and they're trying to look, take care of this family the best they can. This family has awesome family all around them, but this is a monster cancer. And so they would bring over food. Their surface project is going to be at uh, their house and taking care of things at their house. Uh, we're taking care of this family. Uh, my wife goes and uh, uh, every Wednesday and takes this gal and meets with her and spends time with her for several hours while she's at the hospital getting one of her treatments so the husband can have a break and go do some errands. We have other men from the group that have had an experience uh, similar to this and they're investing in, in these folks as well. Like this is community. This is how community works. It takes care of each other. It's not the government's job. It's not some program's job. It's God's people's job to take care of God's people. Amen? And so Surfest is just kind of like a, a cool thing that happens that we get to do all together and we celebrate it big. But like Surfest happens every week in your life group, I hope. But if you just come to a building and sit in a seat and, and like pretend that we're Christians, but we're not doing life with each other. We're not reading God's word together. We're not letting it transform us. We're not letting it move us out into the community together. Then that, that we're not church. You've heard me say it a million times. The church is more than just a building, right? It's actually not the building. It's right here. It dwells within you. The purpose as a church is a dwelling place for the Holy spirit to transform us. Let's go to Titus chapter two. You guys are getting like a whole book of the Bible and it's going to be so stellar. You'd be like, yeah, I did my reading today. Got a whole book in. You have, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. You, Titus, you, pastor, you, elder, you, teacher, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach, I love this, get ready, because he's getting everybody in here today. He got everybody there then, 2,000 years ago. He's coming after you today, just so you know. Teach the older men to be temperate. All right, older is in the eye of the beholder. But teach the older men to be temperate. Worthy of respect. They don't demand respect. They are worthy of respect because of how they function, because they're temperate, because they're self-controlled, because they're sound in the faith, in love, and in endurance. Older men, do you have those? How are you feeling? Likewise, teach older women to be reverent in the way that they live, to not be slanderers or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. Older ladies, teach what is good. 
What is good? How do you know what is good? What, what is good? This is good. Living a faithful life is good. Teach that. Then they can urge the younger women, younger ladies, to love their husbands and, husbands and children. See, the older ladies don't have to love their husbands and children anymore. They did that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Please love me. Oh, wait, I just called you older. <laughs> go, it's going sideways quick. No, no, we are all, we're called to do that, right? Because a well-loved husband and well-loved children create well-loved disciples of God. Be self-controlled and pure. To be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. That word subject there means that you get to choose whether or not you're going to support your husband. And Titus is saying that you should, you should su- support your husband. You should help them be those things that they're striving to be. And you should be that as well. All right, we got the pastor, we got the older men, we got the older ladies, we got the younger, uh, younger ladies. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Sounds like there was a control problem on the island of Crete. And everything set them an example by doing what is good. And your teachings show them integrity. You have it first. Show them integrity. Seriousness. How to play video games. No. Seriousness. And soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So that those who oppose you will be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Sim, teach the slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. So, good news. We abolish slavery. Amen, right? This culture, 30% of the people were slaves. So not only does Paul talk to the pastors and elders and the older men and the older women and the younger uh, women and the younger men, he also addresses this whole group of slaves. He talks to them specifically. Teach your slaves to be subject to their masters and everything, to try and please them and not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teachings about God, our Savior, attractive. They're in that spot. How do they glorify God, whether they should be in that spot or not? As we study Paul, we understand more what he tries to do with the slavery piece of it. We won't get into that today, but... It's for another time. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, even slaves. To all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do good. How eager are you purified brothers and sisters? How eager are you to do good? Are you looking for ways to do good? Like not even to yourself, but like to others? Is that who we are as a people?
Is that the kind of church that real life on the Palouse is? Is that the kind of pastor that I am and the type of elders that we have and the staff that we have? Are we eager to do good? I hope. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So we're here to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And we want to make biblical disciples in relational environments. So you need to be in one. And why are you here? To do good. Now doing good doesn't get you into heaven. But it sure tells us a lot about your character. It sure tells us a lot about what you value. We're saved for a purpose to do good. Who, verse 14 again was, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. That's what God wants. He wants a people that are his very own, and that's you. And they're eager to do what is good. I'm going to finish up here. When you go back and read this this week, because I know you will, I want you to go back to all the so that's. I noticed that this morning as I was going through this, it's like, you're reading, I'm like, so that, so that, so that, so that, so that. There's nothing hiding here. This is the purpose so that this will happen. And that is what we should look like. Titus 3, 1 through 11, let's blaze through this one. Remind the people to be subject to the rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. I want to remind you guys to be ready to do whatever is good. If I'm following what Titus was, was instructed. Be ready to do whatever is good. If it's this Saturday, cool. If it's tomorrow morning, cool. If it's today, do whatever is good. To slander no one. Even if you say something that's the truth about somebody and it puts them in an ill light in front of others, I would question that, even if it's the truth. Even if it's the truth. Does it elevate them? You see that, and my new stuff drives me nuts. It's like the slander channels. But it's true. Okay, maybe. But is it moving the kingdom of God forward? To slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. He saved me. You probably too. Not because of the righteous things we had done. Thank you, Jesus. But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs and having the hope of an eternal life. A really cool home, if you remember last week. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent, and they're profitable for everyone. Wait a minute. 
So doing good and doing the right things that God calls you to do is good for everybody? It's like this, it's like this quality of character that starts rubbing off on us when we're like, hey, we don't gossip. We don't slander. Nope, it's not about this. It's about doing good and glorifying our God in heaven. Amen? And everybody, it's profitable for everybody. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. I love it. Let's just, the Christians just argue with each other in public and yell at each other and start pulling each other down and start ripping each other down because that's super attractive to the rest of the world. Warn to advice in person once and then warn them a second time and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. What I hear there is let the Holy Spirit work on them. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. Got to know when to walk away. Got to know when to run. No, let the Holy Spirit. God's not, he's not throwing away his other folks, but let the Holy Spirit work on those people. And you work where you're supposed to work. So what happens when we don't do this stuff? What happens when the Christians don't do good? When you do good just to yourself. You get the ugly parts of the world that we see today. You get people who don't value life. Whether it be murdering unborn babies, whether it be in Alabama at a party last night where a bunch of people got murdered. Or in Chicago. Or in Moscow, Idaho. When Christians tire of doing good, the good work of sharing the gospel and being engaging with people and loving them, inviting them into your life, the world looks like what it looks like at its ugliest point. Allow the love of God to change you. Allow it into your heart. And after you're changed, then those closest to you will have a chance to be changed in your own family. I see it happen in my own family. My sister-in-law is getting baptized today in, in Vancouver, Washington. We're so excited. Yeah, so excited for her. And that has a lot to do with, uh, with the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the people that are around her and with my wife who's been discipling her. Family by family. Neighborhood by neighborhood. City by city. County by county. State by state. Nation by nation. Do good. So the church has, has a purpose to empower its believers to do the good works of Jesus Christ to change the world. You and I are called to be something different. We are called to be the light in the darkness. And you choose to accept that call. That's the purpose of the church. And that's where the Lord led me in this fabulous book of Titus. We're going to take the opportunity to uh, go to the cross and communion. Now, if you came in here and didn't grab a communion cup, we have folks come down the aisle, raise your hand, and we'd be more than happy to get you communion. We get the privilege of doing this every week because we come to the table every week. How many people racked up a sin or two this week? 
Okay. Carrie, I knew it. I knew it. No, First time. No. We come to the table and we do a little bit of time. The scriptures talk about examine yourself. Examine yourself. How was this week? How were you in the do-good department? Where did you let God come into your life and change your heart and change your mind and change how you feel and how you look at his creation, which includes his people? Where did that happen this week for you? Where have you been washed by his word this week? Where have you uh, opened your heart up in worship and pleaded for God to enter your life or, your, or somebody that's close to you in their life? And that's why we come to the table every week. We come to the table to say, Lord, I need you. I remember what you did. Help me to do good. Help me to be a good model for your sacrifice that you put on the cross. And so that's what we're commemorating today. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he uh, had it, he had given thanks. He broke it, and he said, this is my body, and this is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember your sacrifice. Help us to do good. Father, I thank you for this time with these amazing folks who chose to come here today. I ask that this little piece of your word be the beginning for them this week. That we would understand the purpose of the church. Yes, we're blessed to have amazing worship. Yes, we're blessed to be in a nice building. All these other things. But the church is not in here. Only when its people are in here. You have created a holy place inside of each one of us who have accepted you. Lord, let our hands go out. Let us be the church in the communities we live in. If, if for folks that are visiting, let them go back and be the church right where they are. For the folks that are online, let them be the church right where they are, Lord. Move us powerfully to tell your story, the good story of a Savior who loves us of a Savior who teaches us, of a Savior who modeled what it looks like to do good. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.